the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, it's AM 950 WTLN, and uh, we do this show every Saturday, every weekend here, and always delighted when you join us. Uh, Alan Dempsey engineers for us each weekend, and uh, Andrew Herdliska is our producer. Uh, Gary Tyra joins us uh, in this first half hour from your Belinda, California. Uh, he's the professor of biblical and practical theology at Vanguard University in Southern California. Uh, we're going to talk about his new book, Pursuing Moral Faithfulness, Ethics and Christian Discipleship. Uh, IVP is the publisher. Gary, wonderful of you to join me, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our visit. Well, thank you, Pat, for the opportunity, and I'm looking forward to it as well. So why was it important for you to write this book? I was teaching a Christian ethics course uh, a couple of years ago, and one of my students, a ministry-bound student in his mid to late 20s, wrote in his final paper a telling admission. He, he confessed that prior to taking the course, he had really not been given much, giving much thought at all to how he made moral decisions, and that during the course he'd come to recognize that he had been guilty of making moral choices essentially the same way non-Christians do. And then I found that uh, this was being replicated in my other students, in my other courses. And uh, then as this dynamic was corroborated by uh, a very reputable sociological research study called the National Study of Youth and Religion, which discovered that huge numbers of church-going Christians are actually relating to God in a way that's different than the God of the Bible. And as a result, they're uh, making moral choices just essentially in the same manner as non-Christians do. And so putting all that together, I realized that I needed to write a book that addresses the problem of professing Christians uh, not really making moral choices in a way that's impacted by Christian discipleship. Well, Gary, there are ten important chapters <clears throat> that you write about. Uh, let's dive in. The first one, Morality Matters, a user-friendly introduction to Christian ethics. I love that title. Uh, how do you start the book? Why, why do you start that way? Well, I think that part of the problem with uh, a lot of Christian ethics courses or ethics courses in general is, is that they're out of balance. There's heavy emphasis on theory and not enough emphasis on practice. Furthermore, these courses don't really inspire students to want to live a morally faithful life before God. It's just a, a course they need to take in order to get their degree. And so I'm wanting to create a, a study of ethics that's compelling, that both informs and inspires. And so that's why I'm trying to take a user-friendly approach to, in this very first chapter, just talk about what is ethics, what's at the heart of it, why does it matter, what is Christian ethics? Uh, what does ethics uh, in a postmodern world look like? And so I attempt to, to do my best to explain these very important basic concepts about ethics, but to do so in a way that causes the, the reader to want more instead of uh, feeling like, oh, I don't need any more of this. Gary, what's the definition of ethics? Well, ethics has historically been understood as the science or the intellectual discipline that deals with determining right and wrong conduct uh, uh, in terms of human. Um, philosophical ethics uh, asks the question, what's the good life? And so Socrates and Plato talk about that, uh, Aristotle, etc. Um, theological ethics says, uh, if there's a God, 
does that God have moral preferences? Does he have an opinion about how we human beings relate to him, to others, to ourselves and creation? Can that preference, that opinion of God about morality be known? And then what do we do with that? And so that's what Christian ethics is. It's, it's taking seriously the idea that we can have an intimate, interactive relationship with God, and not just a theoretical one, that he is a God with a, an opinion about how we behave and who we are, and we can, through the Scriptures and through the Spirit, uh, discern what God's will is, and then it's on us whether or not we want to please God with our lives or whether or not we're going to be impacted by our culture and just make important moral choices the way everyone else does, essentially not considering God and just instead wanting to do what feels good to us in the moment. Gary Tyra is with us from Yorba, Linda, California. The book is called Pursuing Moral Faithfulness. I want to uh, combine, Gary, uh, topics two and three. Uh, Some popular ethical options, results-oriented approaches, and then some popular ethical options, rules-oriented approaches. So, so what's the difference here? What, what, is, what does all that mean? Well, uh, there are two main ways in which people make moral choices. Uh, the two main ways are, uh, and I won't use the technical language, uh, to focus on results. And then the other way is to focus on rules. So when we're faced with a moral dilemma, when we're tugged at by more than one sense of moral ought at a time, and at the same time we don't know exactly what to do, uh, Results-oriented approaches ask the question, well, what do I want to see happen as a result of this decision? What kind of results or consequences or outcomes should I attempt to produce through my, my uh, action? Rules-oriented approaches say, uh, well, no, um, there's a right and wrong way to behave, and the moral rules, uh, for us Christians, of course, the moral commands presented in Scripture inform that, What's the rule that applies, and how do I do my duty with respect to that rule? And so if we're not careful, we can have an unbalanced approach to making moral decisions. We can focus entirely on results, or we can focus entirely on rules and not take into consideration how our actions impact others. And I want to suggest, and do suggest in the book, that Jesus takes both the rules and results into consideration, but he's also interested in character, not just what we do, but who we are before God and why we do what we do. And so I'm suggesting that we need to have a more balanced, biblically informed, Christ-centered, and spirit-empowered approach to making moral choices. And Jesus embodies that for us. And if we let him, he'll teach us how to make moral choices that honor the heart of God as well. But the two basic approaches are rules-oriented and results-oriented. And in Chapter 2, I focus on results-oriented approaches, very relativistic approaches, because they don't take moral rules seriously. They don't believe in moral rules that apply to everyone. And so it's basically what I think is right or good for me or what I want to do the good uh, for the greatest number of people that I, I care about, or I just feel my way to the truth, intuit my way to, to a moral choice, or I just try to always do the loving thing. And those are some relativistic uh, rel- uh, cho- uh, approaches to making decisions that that disregard rule. And then in chapter 3, I talk about Immanuel Kant's uh, essentially non-biblical approach to uh, absolutism, uh, making moral choices based on rules without respect to results. But then I go on to talk about three Christian forms of absolutism, which take the moral rules in the Bible very seriously. The problem is, is that they end up treating the Bible as a moral rule book, and while they encourage us to search the scriptures to find a moral rule, they don't talk as much as they should about the importance of prayer and hearing where God's heart is with respect to this or that situation so that we can please God in that particular uh, occurrence of, of making a moral choice. Now I want you to talk about the religio-cultural soup we're all in, assessing its impact on our moral IQ. Well, I want to suggest that it shouldn't surprise us that the culture that we're in right now, with its increasing embrace of moral relativism, is impacting even the way church-going Christians are making moral choices. I just taught a class in Christian ethics last night, and I introduced this concept, and their jaws dropped, but at the end of the day, they had to admit that this is going on, and it's not just going on in the lives of young people they're ministering to or friends and family members. 
it's going on in their own lives as well. How do students linger after class to basically just have some spiritual direction with me because he's concerned about how capable, how easy it has become for him to, to tell lies if it serves a, a purpose, because after all, he's not hurting anybody, he says. So this is a real phenomenon. We're all being impacted by the cultural soup that we're swimming in. And this is true for many church-going folks as well as for non-church-going folks. So I talk about the, the sociological study that has some distressing statistics about this. For example, according to this very reputable study, about 30 to 40 percent of emerging adults embrace a radical moral relativism and do so in an adamant manner. I mean, they're really serious about the idea that there are no moral absolutes that apply to anyone. My guest is Gary Tyra. We're going to be back with Gary on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. This just in, death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on. Is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Are you worried about losing your home to foreclosure? If you've been threatened with foreclosure or receive legal papers from your bank, you have approximately 30 days to respond. If you do not respond, you could lose your home. You have rights. Act now to protect your rights. You can stay in your home. Many times you can even modify your loan. The bottom line is you can get past this, but you must act right now. Call National Foreclosure Defense right now at 800 989-1838, 800-989-1838. If you've been served by your bank and you're worried about losing your home to foreclosure, now is the time to fight back and save your home. Time is limited, so call right now. 800-989-1838. 800-989-1838. Call the professionals at National Foreclosure Defense right now. 800-989-1838. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Gary Tyra is with us from California. His book is called Pursuing Moral Faithfulness. And Gary, you are right in the middle of an interesting thought there before the break. So I, I do want you to continue, please. Great. Uh, happy to do that. Uh, as I was saying, uh, a significant number of emerging adults are thoughtful in their embrace of a a moral relativism, that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone. The interesting uh, feature of the study is that it indicates the other two-thirds of the emerging adults are not sure, but that doesn't make them moral realists. They just aren't sure whether they're moral absolutes or not. So it shouldn't surprise us if, in a pinch, they end up making moral choices in a relativistic manner as well, not really thinking through about whether or not there are God-given moral commands that we need to take seriously, and so they make moral choices on, uh, on the basis of, you know, what just seems right to them in the moment, which the Bible tells us is a dangerous thing to do. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 both say there's a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. So we really can't trust our raw ethical instincts because of the fall. And then the other reason, way a lot of folks are making moral choices is on the basis of how they want to be perceived by their peers, their friends. What will my friends think of me? So they're focusing more on what their friends think of them than what on God about what God thinks. Uh, the study also indicates that 40% of emerging adults make moral choices based 
on what their friends think. 60% expressed a highly individualistic perspective, meaning it's a matter of personal opinion. Since there aren't any moral rules, it's, it's up to me to decide what's right or wrong for me. It's up to you to decide what's right or wrong for you. And 60% of the emerging adults are embracing that idea of moral autonomy rather than accountability. And then finally, 34% of emerging adults indicate that they would lie, cheat, or steal if they thought they could get away with it. So the only reason why some emerging adults aren't engaging in some of these prohibitive behaviors is because, you know, they don't want to get caught. They don't want to get into trouble. But there's no other motivation besides that. And so if the opportunity exists, they'll do it. And then when asked why, they say, well, in a dog-eat-dog world, you have to. Everybody's doing it, even my my parents and and leaders do it, etc. So this is all fairly distressing, and I talk about the impact of this kind of cultural milieu on uh, even Christians and how we need to be intentional about developing what I call a moral faithfulness quotient, a moral faithfulness IQ, so that we can resist this slide into the kind of moralistic relativism that doesn't take God seriously. And the, the goal of the book is to encourage Christians to know that we can do better than that. We can make moral choices that hear and honor the heart of God. Now, Gary, let's talk about more on a moral realism, the moral guidelines uh, the Scripture provide, and then more on a moral realism, the moral guidance the Scriptures promise. So we're Talking about providing and promise here, right? Correct. Um, a moral realism says that God is a moral being who has uh, an opinion about how we behave and who we are, and because of what God has done through Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we can uh, sense and discern what God's will is. And if you look at the Apostle Paul's writing to the churches, you'll often hear him uh, saying to the churches, I'm praying for you that you'll be able to discern God's will and please him with the way you live your life. So we know from Scripture that moral realism is something we should take seriously. Well, there are two ways in which uh, the Scriptures indicate to us uh, how we can arrive at a sense of where God's heart is. Uh, There are moral guidelines that the Scriptures provide us, and so I talk about some of those moral guidelines. Of course, we have Jesus's statement about the importance of loving God supremely and loving the neighbor as ourselves. Uh, We also have the Beatitudes, which tell us about what are the earmarks, the core values, the attributes of people who are pleasing to God. We have Jesus' teaching about ethics in Matthew 5 of the Sermon on the Mount. But what I'm also suggesting is that we need to take a passage from the Old Testament very seriously, and that's Micah 6.8, where the prophet, inspired by the Spirit, says, He's shown you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Well, here it is, to do justice, to love with kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. And so I endeavor to show how that that passage sort of summarizes where God's heart is with respect to how we live. He always wants us to, to, to be fair, to do justice. He always wants us to love with kindness. He always wants us to walk humbly before him. So those are three moral absolutes that are transcultural, transhistorical, they apply to everyone, everywhere, at all times. So what we find is is that Jesus was really good at making moral choices that took Micah 6.8 and the command to love God supremely and, and his neighbors himself uh, into consideration. And he wants to teach us how to do that as well. Then in uh, chapter 6, I talk about the moral guidance the Scriptures promise, and this is a uh, a biblical study of how that the Bible says that God wants to speak to us. God wants to speak wisdom and moral guidance into our lives. Proverbs 2 and other passages in the Old Testament and passages in the New Testament talk about how the Spirit wants to empower us to make moral choices that are right and, and good in God's eyes, but it's also the Spirit who leads us and guides us into all truth and to understand where God's heart is with respect to this or that moral situation. So the combination of these two chapters is to try to encourage the reader to say, wow, I can do better than just making moral choices based on my gut or what my friends think. I really can engage in a process of hearing and then in honoring the heart of God. And that's what a moral faithfulness is, and I want to do that. Next topic. So what would Jesus do, you ask? That's chapter 7. 
Correct. Um, you know, back in the 80s, uh, the WWJD bracelets were popular. Again, this, I talk about how this goes back to the, uh, a novel written 100 years earlier uh, in his steps. And the idea is, is that whenever you're wondering about what you should do, you should just ask the question, well, what would Jesus do? The problem is, is that by itself, that probably isn't a sufficient foundation for a Christian ethic. It's not always easy to, to try to discern what Jesus would do. So I want to suggest that while that's not a bad question to ask, the better question is, what's the spirit of Jesus up to in this situation, and how am I being called to cooperate with that? So it's a more responsive and, and contextually sensitive approach to uh, asking the question, where's the heart of Jesus here? How did Jesus honor God, and how would Jesus honor the heart of God in this situation? Jesus was careful to take the Scripture seriously, to take the moral command seriously, but he also was careful to try to discern where the heart of God was when he originally gave the command, and then to apply it in a way that did justice to that. See, the Pharisees were very punctilious in terms of their study of Scripture, but they didn't take seriously why God gave the commands in the first place. And so they could end up obeying moral commands, but doing so in a way that hurt people instead of helped people. For example, you know, wanting to condemn Jesus for healing a guy because it was the wrong day in their mind. So Jesus really took the Pharisees to, to task for that. And I want to encourage us Christians to not be modern-day Pharisees. And bless our hearts, we're taking a moral absolute seriously, but if we're not careful, we won't do it in the way Jesus did it. We won't do it in a way that honors God's heart. We'll do it in a way that grieves his heart instead. And so in that chapter, I talk about the story of Jesus and the, the woman caught in the act of adultery and how Jesus models for us a way of making a moral choice that takes the rules seriously, takes consequences or results seriously, takes the idea of, of godly character seriously, but it also is, uh, takes Micah 6.8 and, and the command to love God supremely and our neighbor as ourselves seriously as well. Really proud of the chapter. I hope it inspires some readers to want to learn how to embody the moral faithfulness that Jesus himself modeled for us. Gary Tyra with us from uh, Yorba Linda, California, pursuing moral faithfulness, responsible and responsive decision-making, a closer look at drawing in the dirt. My, 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 Gary. <laughs> fill us well, in. Got to uh, fill chapter, us in on that one. Yeah, unless you've read Chapter 7, Chapter eight's title isn't going to make a lot of sense. But then again, maybe a provocative title not the worst thing in the world, right? That's right. Um, in Chapter 7, I talk about how Jesus, when interacting uh, with his, the Pharisees with respect to the woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus didn't rush to make a decision. He knelt down and he drew in the dirt. And I'm just using that as a metaphor, encouraging Christians to not rush to judgment when we're faced with a moral dilemma, but to, like Jesus, take the time to think it through, take the time to pray, take the time to, to ask the question, where's the heart of God here? How do I please God in this situation? You know, Jesus could have said, well, you're right, the Old Testament says we should stone adulterers. Uh, or he could have said, well, I don't care what the Bible says. Either of those approaches would have been something other than what Micah 6 eight calls for. Jesus found a way to do justice to Micah 6.8 and please God with respect to that woman caught in the act of adultery. So I just want to talk a little bit more in the next chapter about what does it mean, how do we do this? What does it mean to be a responsible moral agent? What does it mean to be a responsive moral agent? Someone who's uh, actually endeavoring to hear what God is telling us as we pray in a theologically real way, expecting God to actually answer us. How does the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us the way I believe he led and guided the, even Jesus himself? And so I'm trying to inspire my readers to take seriously the idea of spirit-enabled moral guidance in that passage, and I provide them with a set of questions they can use to make sure they're, they're, that they're really hearing from the Spirit and not just speaking to themselves in the name of the Spirit. And now I want you uh, to get into this topic, Gary, the ethic of responsible Christian discipleship and reasons for its embrace. Well, at this point in the book, I've been talking about this ethic of responsible Christian discipleship as the best way to describe how Jesus uh, made moral choices and how he taught his followers to do so. And so near the end of the book, I want to address some issues, you know, like, well, isn't this a little messy? 
You know, I, I prefer a, a, a moral model that just tells me black or white what the right thing to do is and what the wrong thing to do is. And so I, I say in this chapter that we should take the ethic of responsible Christian discipleship seriously for three reasons. First of all, it's an ethic appropriate for the real world in which we live, which is a messy world. And so if we want an ethic that works in the real world, it's necessarily going to be a bit messy and call for us to, to exercise trust and faith and to pray and, and, and listen to God and trust the results with him versus just making the Bible into a moral rule book and finding a Bible passage and slapping it into play and getting it all over with as soon as possible because we don't like dealing with it. That's an irresponsible way to make moral choices. The second reason to uh, embrace this ethic is that it's in touch with what authentic Christian discipleship is about, which is, I'm suggesting, an intimate, interactive relationship with God. So a process of making moral choices that, rel- that calls for us to seek God's face, and as Proverbs 2 says, not only to search the Word, the Scriptures, but also to cry out to God in prayer and, and, and expect God to speak to us, that is the kind of moral uh, decision-making approach that's in touch with what Jesus wants to do in terms of making us his disciples, which is help us to have the same kind of relationship with God that he has. And then finally... Uh, this approach to making choices should be embraced because it's an ethic that takes seriously all those passages in the New Testament that talk about the importance, the crucial importance of being led by the Spirit. So if we're going to take those passages seriously, we need an ethical approach that takes that seriously as well. And so I, I make the argument in this chapter that these are three big reasons why this ethical approach uh, deserves our consideration. Gary, in closing, give me 60 seconds on actually becoming an ethically responsible Christian disciple and the process involved? I think that there are three big experiences that help rank-and-file church members to want to honor God with their lives, and that can equip them to do that. The first is a transformational experience with the Holy Spirit which changes our character, changes us from the inside out, and causes us to not want to go with the crowd, but to be willing to be different and to be Christian. Secondly is an engagement in Christian community, genuine Christian community, which is hugely formational for us and crucial to our our developing the ability to, to hear and honor God. And then thirdly, it's an engagement in Christian praxis, actually living out what we say we believe, has the effect of not only demonstrating what we believe, but causing us to believe it even more. We- My guest has been Gary Tyra, the book called Pursuing Moral Faithfulness, and so glad that he could join us. Uh, we will be back with more, folks. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Due to an upturn in the economy, Main Street Business Loans has pre-approved the release of millions of dollars in small business funding. Your business may already be pre-approved to receive up to $250,000. We've sent out millions of pre-approval letters. We see the economy growing, and our underwriters believe now is the time to invest in your business so you can grow faster and make more money. And we're prepared to give you up to $250,000 to do it. Your funds can be available in five days. There are no application fees, no annual fees, just quick access to up to $250,000. If your business did not receive your approval letter to get up to $250,000, Call Main Street Business Loans Approval Desk now. 800-870-0459-800-870-0459-800-870-0459-800-870-0459. Half-priced homeschool tuition. Hi, this is Bill Files, GM here at Salem Media Group in Orlando. Over the past four years, we've helped more than 150 parents and their children get into a Christian education environment with half-price tuition. Well, now I've got some exciting news for parents who homeschool. We are now offering a whole new segment of half-price tuitions for campus-based homeschool curriculum. If you're a parent or grandparent of children who are homeschooled, this could be a terrific opportunity for you. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on half-price tuition and check out the new listing at the top of the page for half 
half-priced homeschool. It's easy. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half-Priced Tuition. And check out the new listing at the top of the page for Half-Priced Homeschool Tuition. Half-Priced Homeschool Tuitions. Another great idea for the new 950 WTLM. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Gary Tyra was our guest in that first half hour, and uh, we talked about his book, Pursuing Moral Faithfulness. Uh, Daryl and Cindy DeVille are with us from uh, their home in Texas. Uh, they're planning to launch a new church in Frisco, Texas, by the way, which is a terrific area but we're here to talk about uh, their book with creation house god's answer for america how to save and change a nation uh daryl cindy thanks for joining me and i must say that's a powerful title and a powerful subject that we're going to get into right amen well thanks for having us on pat we really appreciate it and you are right we believe which actually been a message in the works for about seven years, and we were praying for God's perfect timing on the release, and we believe the timing's pretty good, I think, if you look at the state of our nation right now and what's going on. Well, Daryl, the first topic that you write about, you two write about, is God's urgent message to America. Uh, what, what are you telling us there? What, what's, what's that mean? Well, the, the urgent message really is um, we're... When we look at what we've done as a nation, uh, progressively rejecting God, we're seeing the toll of that happening right now. The progressive war against God and our nation's foundation are taking a toll, and it continues to thrust America further down a path of self-destruction. And what that, what the fruit of that is leading us to um, God's goodness and faithfulness and His blessing being withdrawn more and more from our nation. His protection, his hand of goodness being lifted. When we slap the hand of God and start rejecting him, he begins to lift. And when he lifts, just like with Israel in Israel's day, he will allow things to, to come in, such as, as Israel's enemies came in. We believe that also that the door is opened for America's enemies to increase and come in. And and actually, we see a just a glimpse of that with 9-11, just a little almost a warning shot, you might say. Um, and then from there, it, it can get much, much, much worse, more than we want to describe. But um, God is God is sending a clear warning, I believe, to America. And um, just real briefly, the, the, we have in, in this the beginning of the book, pretty close to the front, a prophecy called America, America. And it came in 2007. It began unfolding in our news in 2008. And it tells what's yet to come. Cindy, I, I want you to talk to us about America, America, God's cry to awaken a nation. Yes, well, this uh, was a, a powerful, a really prophetic word that came in December of 2007. And, you know, there, there are many people, whatever a person's theology is on modern-day prophecy and warnings, um, we just ask you to really... A read and listen to this word because it is a cry to awaken the nation, a cry from the heart of God. Although it is very sobering, there's strong warning in it. We believe as you as you hear it, as you read it, that you will hear the heart cry of a father saying, "Turn back to me," or this destruction you will see. It, it's kind of like someone with a rebellious teenager um, that has run away from home and uh, moving down a path that is highly destructive, and you know as a parent that that teenager is going to end up either in jail, hurting themselves, hurting others, and um, as, as a father, what are you willing to do uh, to stop that destruction that you see? Um, if you see them about to go over a cliff, someone about to go over a cliff, you're going to do everything you can if you love that person to stop them. And that's what we see in this uh, this cry. And this is really why we wrote the book, uh, because we felt the heart cry of, of God the Father. And um, But when you look at this uh, word, it starts off, and this again was in 2007, and what, what is amazing is we have seen much of this, many parts of it unfold in the news, and we have seen it, but it starts off as many enemies, many, many trying to get in. America, America, you are filled with sin. Guilty, guilty, you stand before me. 
You are weighed in the balance and greatly found wanting. If you do not turn from your sin, my protection over you shall subside, and the enemies will come inside. For I have cried out to you, but you would not hear me, for you no longer love, honor, or fear me. And then he says, he goes on to say, it's a a longer prophecy, but he goes on to say that judgment is standing at the door. And then uh, one thing that really addresses some of the issues that we're dealing with even today, he says, "Um, you have exchanged my glory and my truth for a lie. You have cast my word and every restraint aside. And then he calls for repentance, for prayer, to seek his face. And he um, also speaks of many other things in here. But one thing that you do hear in the midst of this, he says, um, I long to show you my mercy, but you have turned me away again and again, away from your schools, away from your children, away from your rule and government, and you have replaced me with other gods. And then he calls out to her, repent, you need to turn back to me. And um, so it is a very sobering word, but he does say that uh, several things will begin to take place if we do not hear and respond to his cry. And uh, we have seen many of these things um, happening in America. Daryl, talk to us about the course of a nation. Well, right now, it's... The alarming reality is America, like ancient Rome, is witnessing all the historical warning signs of an empire on the verge of implosion. And right now, um, it seems we're in the greatest moral and spiritual crisis we've ever witnessed. And the course of the nation is being set because of the decisions of the leaders. We talk about later in the book, we talk about the gateway, the gatekeepers, the leaders of our nation, but also, also we believe the pulpits of America help set the course of our nation by what they're speaking in the pulpits of America. But the course of a nation is also determined by choices. There's two paths before America right now, and the choices we have made are being shown, the fruit of that's being shown right now in our nation. You know, um, Billy Graham, it's interesting, in 2012, uh, he had an open prayer letter to the nation called My Heart Aches for America. He's, and in that, he expressed his deep concerns as well. And th- this is such a, a revealing thing that he says here as he sees this. He says, self-centered indulgence, pride, and a lack of shame over sin are now the emblems of the American lifestyle. Yet the further we get from God, the more our world and really our nation spiral out of control. And when we look at the state of our nation today, and compare it to, when we look at how far we've fallen, um, when we look back at John Winthrop, who was actually the first governor of Massachusetts in 1630, and we look, he actually warned us as a nation. And I'm just going to uh, share this with you because it really uh, reveals how far we have fallen. And again, this was the first governor of Massachusetts. He says, but if our heart shall turn away so that we will not obey, but shall be seduced and worship other gods, our pleasures, our profits, and serve them. He says, we shall surely perish out of the good land, whether we pass over this vast sea to possess it. Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. And that really is the truth for our nation. Um, If we want to see that uh, restoration and God to bless and prosper our nation, protect us, then we need to cleave to him and hear his voice. Daryl, I want you to talk to us about where we began America's godly foundations. Wow, that's a great subject because there's so much historical writings on it, even though uh, when you look at the, um, you know, the, in our schools today and in our universities, they seem to have emasculated and rewritten history in many ways. But when you look at the beginning, I mean, the evidence was so amazing and so overwhelming that the U.S. Supreme Court in 1982 declared, from the discovery of this continent to the present hour, there's a single voice making this affirmation. Then they cited dozens of presidents and said, we find everywhere a clear recognition of the same truth. These and many other matters that may be noticed and that add to the volume of unofficiated declarations to the massive organic utterances that this is a Christian nation. Now, it doesn't mean that um, we were founded specifically as a Christian nation, but when you look at throughout the history and the writings, it's indisputable that, that Christian faith, devotion to God, Christ, Jesus Christ, and biblical principles have been heavily weaved 
throughout the fabric of our nation's history. Uh, you can see it in Yale and Harvard and their statements as when they were first started and the first great awakening that came helped to bring, turn things around and put America back on course. The same with the second great awakening, and we, now we need a third great awakening. But it's not going to come uh, just by us wishing it. It's only going to come by God's way. Cindy, America, a prodigal nation, uh, fill us in on that. What does that mean? Well, when we look at the uh, story of the prodigal son, the account of the prodigal son in the Bible, we see that, you know, he was in his father's house, he was blessed, he was cared for, had everything he needed, um, but he chose to go his own way. He said, I I want what I want, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And instead of um, staying under the covering of his father, um, where the provision, the protection and everything was, he chose to leave. And so we see that a prodigal nation, we really are, because when we look at our godly foundations and we look at how uh, the Christian faith is weaved through so much of even our laws and our legislation, if you go back and look at, like Daryl was saying, the original documents, it's just um, amazing to see the difference of where we were and how far we have fallen. And so, really, America is like that prodigal. And, you know, the prodigal son actually ended up in the pig pen. He lost everything. He spent all he had. And when we look at our our debt nationally, you see America is basically unbridled, I guess you could say, um, uh, passion, greed, lust, and all of those things just driving her we have left our father's house, and we see this even in the, the, the uh, those leaving the churches across the nation and our youth. But what is going to happen is if we continue in this way, and that's why this warning is here today and, and this urgent cry to America is that if they continue in that way, uh, we will end up in the pig pen, eating, um, having nothing to eat, and uh, very devastating. Uh, at this point, Daryl, it's important uh, to get into the next topic, and that is the state of the American church. That's true. That's really that really is a huge topic because for decades, when you look at when you look at the American church uh, years ago compared to today, uh, you know, for decades, really, if you look at it, American church has been like a sleeping giant that's fallen into a lukewarm and dispute uh, dispute state, and instead of taking our place as salt and light, like we need to. Even though there's been some efforts, uh, on a massive scale, we've allowed the kingdom of darkness to invade and sow and take root all across our nation. You know, the scripture says in Matthew uh, 13, 25, that when men slept, the enemy came and sowed tears. And because uh, in spite of many numerous efforts to influence society and the culture, much of the American church is instead being influenced and, con- and conformed to the culture. And it's affected our godly foundations. And the reality is also that America has not been able to be, has been greatly, the American church has been greatly hindered and largely, largely ineffective because she's been, she's been greatly compromised at almost every level. Um, we see this in the this, this statistics we quote in the book that goes over and over again that we try not to highlight this too much because we know it's very um, sobering and it can be depressing sometimes. But there is really, when you look at the sin and compromise of balance in the pulpits and pews of America, it doesn't mean everywhere, but on a massive scale, there's a lot of things going on. Some people aren't even aware of because they just kind of go to their one church and see what's going on there. But overall, like Samson with Delilah, we've been stripped of our strength, our vision, and our voice. And then when we, you know, when the church cries out and cries out for righteousness in our nation, for righteous change, a lot of times it's scoffed at because they, they see that a lot of the church is hypocrites. And the fact is, the American church is actually part of the problem. And for us to see true reformation in our nation, we need to first see reformation in our own house, in the church itself first. Before the break here, uh, Cindy, give me 60 seconds on the gatekeepers. Who are they? Well, those are really the leaders of our land, and um, we see that uh, really a lot of people look to our president and um, national civil leaders as the leaders, but the, the highest form of leadership we believe in the nation are really the pulpits of America, God's leaders, and we are called to lead, to be salt and light, and when those um, are not taking their place, and when there is compromise at that highest level spiritually, it really opens up the gates and the doors for all kinds of things to come in. 
my guests, Daryl and Cindy DeVille from Dallas, Texas, that area. It's a great area. And we're having a wonderful visit about their new book. It's called God's Answer for America, How to Save and Change a Nation. Uh, We've got one more segment with the DeVille, so stay with us. It's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. I've been searching for ways to grow deeper in my faith and strengthen my daily walk, and I found it at Crosswalk.com. From Bible study tools to Christian living articles, devotionals, movie reviews, to marriage and finance articles, you get the idea. Crosswalk.com also has a great online community of Christians just like me. With everything just a click away, it's like having a trusted friend, teacher, and mentor right here at my desk every day. Crosswalk.com, the intersection of faith and life. Hi folks, Alan Thick here. You know, some things in life are just too serious to take chances on, and owing money to the IRS is definitely one of those. The IRS has the power to garnish your paycheck, they can levy your bank account, even take your home or business. Seriously. Thankfully, with one simple call, you can start solving your tax debt once and for all. Optima Tax Relief is the leading tax resolution firm in the nation. They have over 250 professionals, they have an A rating with the Better Business Bureau, and the trust of thousands of satisfied clients. Clients. Optima's attorneys can immediately protect you from aggressive collections because they are experts in the Fresh Start Initiative. That's a special IRS debt forgiveness program that could save you thousands. Don't wait till it's too late. Get serious. Call Optima now for your free consultation. Call 800 711 5743. 800 711 5743. 800 711 5743. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Quality, convenient, affordable. Carolina Mountain Water has been serving Central Florida for over 25 years with the best quality and best tasting water at the most affordable prices. Carolina Mountain Water offers free home and office delivery with no annual contract or no minimum order. Get refreshed by calling 407-851-7144. Call today for their special offer, 407-851-7144. Online at carolinabottledwater.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Daryl and Cindy DeVille are with us from uh, the Dallas, Texas area. Uh, The book they've written, God's Answer for America, How to Save and Change a Nation. Uh, Daryl, uh, I want you to tackle this one, how God deals with a nation. Uh, how does he do that? Well, you know, we, really it's outlined in Jeremiah, I believe. First of all, he'll send his word. Of, he'll use the word, and, um, and then if they don't listen to his word, he'll use his prophets. He'll send his servants. And then if they don't respond to that, then he'll use their natural circumstances and, and natural means. But Jeremiah is a great example because it talks about in Jeremiah um, 18, 7 to 11, it says, If I announce to a certain nation a kingdom to be uprooted and torn down and destroyed, but that nation renounces its evil, I will not destroy it as I planned. And, that, and the reverse of that is true. Uh, if he announces a blessing upon a kingdom, but if it turns to evil and does not obey him, then he's not going to bless it like he said he would. And then what he does, though, through the natural circumstances, you use what we believe is three biblical patterns we talk about. Uh, one of the, And we see this, again, this is throughout Scripture. One is you'll use our wealth and the economy will be affected, as it was in Israel's day. He talked about affecting their crops, and uh, you see it in the book of Joel. Um, and also in Solomon, in Second Chronicles 7.13, says Solomon was forewarned, When I shut up heaven and there's no rain, or I command locusts to devour your land or send pestilence, then he goes on to say, If my people are called by name, will humble, them, humble themselves and pray. And we know the rest from there. And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And so that's one way he'll get, he'll, he will affect like we see the big drought going on right now in California, that's not a ch- that's not by chance. That's something that the Lord's foretold of, and that's that one of the ways He works. Um, he can withhold the rain or bring the rain, and He will also use natural disasters. Doesn't mean every natural disaster is the judgment of God at all. 
but it does mean that he will, when, especially when he talks about specific things happening, and they're happening, especially on a what they call biblical proportions, usually that's something that you need to take note of. And the other way he'll use is Israel's enemies, um, is our enemies to actually get our attention, as he did with 9-11, believe. And, you know, Pat, what's quite interesting is many people will reference and say, well, that's just Old Testament. But when we go to the New Testament and we see the account of Jesus in the book of Luke, I believe it's Luke 16, where he is actually weeping over Jerusalem. And he is, uh, and he's saying, how I long to take you under my wings like a mother hen, and how I longed uh, to comfort you, take care of you, but you would not have it. He, and then he said, the prophets I've sent you to warn you, you stoned them, you killed them, you wouldn't listen to them. And he said, but now, since you have, you've missed your day of visitation, you wouldn't listen. He said, now the enemies will come in. And, and uh, basically the destruction would begin, and he said he also warned them about their children. He said, you and your children. And so he was weeping at the same time he was prophesying the destruction of, of uh, Jerusalem there, and it was because they had rejected his messengers, the prophets, who were warning them to um, turn from their sin. And so that's New Testament. So that's an important thing to bring in, I believe. Daryl and Cindy DeVille are our guests. Uh, their book, God's Answer for America, uh, has three parts. We've been talking about the first part, the situation. Uh, part two is the solution. And uh, I want to get into that. Uh, I, I want some uh, direction here, Daryl. Uh, going to the root of the problem and preparing for radical change. Uh, l- let's get into the solution. What, how do you open this uh, section one? And, and what's the good word here? The great thing is that there is a solution, and but we need to start going to by going to the root of the problem. Um, I think most realize by now it's not going to take a, a new political leader or party or better legislation or court decisions are not really going to do it because what we're really seeing right now is the fruit of a root problem. Because we could put a new party or a new law in place, but that's just like a band aid that's covering up a deep rooted cancer right now. And it really goes to speak. What's the what's the root of the problem? Is the heart and the soul of the nation? Because if the heart is changed, the soul is changed, then our actions change, and then everything changes from there. Um, and the only way that's going to change the heart and soul of America is is going to take a divine move of God on a massive scale. Um, and but what we, when we look at though part of the root of the problem too, we spoke on early touched on earlier is actually we believe is the church, because and and less. The church is being salt and light, which will help be the vessel to help bring the great awakening and to help change the heart and soul of a nation. Things are not going to change. That's true. That's where, you know, when we look at at, um, the situation, and there are those in in the faith that, there are those Christians that are fighting, um, standing up for what is just and right. But one of the root problems is, uh, we believe, is that so much of the fight has been in the arm of the flesh. And right now, what we're fighting is a spiritual battle. It is for the soul and the souls of our nation. And so the thing is, we can fight day and night to change the laws and legislation, but only God, by his power, can change the heart and soul of the nation. And so that's where we have to go on the root of the problem. Daryl, tell us about God's answer, mission critical, and, and you say the pulpits hold the keys. Oh, absolutely. Um, again, it comes back to the gatekeepers there. We see the, really, if you look at it, we believe that the most influential position is not the president of the United States or our nation's leaders. We believe the most influential position in our nation lies in the pulpits of America. And Charles Finney spoke about that. You know, he talked about that if we, um, whatever we see, uh, happening in our nation, uh, large for, largely for a due to that, largely is the pulpits of America, what's going on in the pulpits, and what they're speaking, what they're preaching, is going to bear the fruit of what we see. Um, and also we talked about the compromise and everything like that is, is doing that. But that's where the gatekeepers, uh, the pulpits have allowed these things to happen. I'm not saying every pulpit, every minister, but in, in large do, because the pulpits have not done what they need to be, they've allowed these things to happen. Now they're the ones to also help turn it around. And we believe God is speaking to the pulpits of America that he, he wants to, on a massive scale to unite, to come together and unite in one action, one voice, and to repent on a massive scale, to bring repentance and prayer on a massive scale, 
and uh, to do this. And we really, that's that's the beginning part. And we believe if, just imagine pulpits and, and churches across America coming together and united in one action and to, to bring about God's answer, we believe it, it, it will change things on a massive scale. Cindy, I want you to talk about the call to action at the pulpit level, the local church level, the national level, and then the results that we will see. Amen. Well, we love this part of the book because it is the answer. And that's just that we paint that, we see the picture, how dire our situation is and how urgent it is. And so the, the call to action is really beginning with the pulpits of America because as the nation, we are called to be salt and light. And our pastors and our spiritual leaders, the fivefold ministry, are called to rise up and lead the way. But to do that, we believe they first, it's going to begin on their knees. And so um, we have the step one, step two, and step three really walking them through at the pulpit personal level. We believe that what God is saying right now to the church and his people is he's calling the church to their knees. He's saying it's time to fall to your knees to surrender everything, lay down your agendas. It's time to start doing things my way. All of your ways have failed. All of your plans and strategies, instead of you impacting and influencing the nation. Instead, you have been impacted by them, and we have been pushed back, and God's saying it's time for things to change, and it has to begin at the pulpit level, because they are the leaders of the body of the church, and when we, we can no longer compromise. So what needs to happen, what we believe the Lord is saying, he's calling them to their knees. First, personally, we have been praying that Every pastor and leader, Christian leader in America would begin to have an encounter with God where God would just bring them to their knees in uh, repentance, in prayer, and uh, just really seeking Him. It's time for us to really do things God's way. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to grab the greatest, latest marketing scheme and, and look at what everyone else is doing. But uh, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is the real secret, is the house that God builds, nothing will be able to stand against it. My guests have been Daryl and Cindy DeVille, and uh, we've been talking about their book, God's Answer for America, How to Save and Change a Nation, Creation House is the publisher. Uh, I've got to wrap up right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes, and attorney, Delta Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design on the new 94.9 FM and AM 950 WTLN. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Well, thanks so much for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We do it every weekend on AM 950 WTLN and delighted when you join us. Uh, in the first half hour, Gary Tyra was with us from Southern California talking about pursuing moral faithfulness. And then Daryl and Cindy DeVille from Frisco, Texas, uh, authors of God's Answer for America. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com. The Twitter page is Orlando Magic Pat. And my most recent book has just come out. It's called Vince Lombardi on Leadership. We take a look at the great Packers coach and uh, the leadership lessons we can take from him. Uh, Go to Amazon.com. Wonderful way to check out books and and order them. In the meantime, uh, enjoy church tomorrow with your family and have a great week ahead here in the summertime in Orlando, Florida. It's AM 950 WTLN. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.